0: Hello, and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another podcast. I've been so excited about this one. I've been telling everyone about Portal, which is this really awesome Uh, Well, it's an animal training game that you essentially train your friends and family and anyone that you can uh, allow to uh, or encourage to play the game, which is a lot of fun. And we're going to go all the way through it in this podcast with Mary Hunter. But before we get into that, this podcast is sponsored by Tromplo, Tromplo. The online animal training platform. And Trumplo is all about combining the art and science of training and applying it to all species. So they have courses on dogs, they even have a course on how to well, train your children is probably the wrong word, but how to apply all of this science to to children, to dogs, all of this kind of stuff is very scientific. It's really awesome and is created by Agnieszka Janarek, who I've worked with a lot, who's been on the podcast before, and is just generally a really awesome person. So be sure to check out Tromplo's courses at uh, tromplo.com, which is spelled T-R-O-M-P-L-O, so yeah, check that out. This podcast is with Mary Hunter. Mary has a degree, a master's degree in behavior analysis from the University of North Texas. She runs her own animal training business and also teaches at the University of North Texas. Mary and Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz have recently published their first book, Portal your portable, operant research and teaching lab. You can find Mary online at www.behaviorexplorer.com and at www.stalechurios.com. All right, let's get into it. Hey Mary, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today to talk to you about animal training and Portal and other things as well.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Portal because obviously when you guys first came out with the manual and you first started posting to your blog about this, like within our little community, it kind of went viral, didn't it? Like people were posting about it all of the time. And I know you went on Ryan's podcast as well, and everyone's just been kind of discussing about it. And I know you said to me when I contacted you that you were quite inundated with like demand for people wanting to purchase the game.
1: Yeah. Well, actually we, um, we published the, portal manual in September and in the initial run we had 500 copies printed and we're completely sold out of that now so I just went to the printers yesterday and picked up the next batch from the printer so yeah we're really excited by the number of people in the animal training community and in the behavior analysis community more broadly you know people who work with people um, that people are really interested in learning more about it Um, and using it. So Jesus and I have been giving workshops using Portal for six or seven years now, but it's it's been a little bit difficult for people to do it on their own. So the manual contains our our big curriculum that we've developed. um, And so we really hope that will help people be able to play as much Portal as they want um, um, with their friends or with their their clients, um, even if they can't get to our workshops.
0: So that's interesting then. So is the manual like a rule set, here's how you play, or is it more of like a curriculum, like you said, like various games that you can play with the equipment?
1: Yeah, so um, we should in a second we should jump into like what actually Portal is, but um, the manual lays out kind of a set of rules and a framework for how to play the game, but then the bulk of the manual, especially I would say in the first two thirds of it, is really a set of very guided exercises that help you um, develop your shaping skills, model different um, behavior analytic concepts, um, learn about different concepts. Um, because what we what we found early on in our workshops and in the classes that Dr. Jesus Resolves reads and I teach at the university is if you give people too much freedom early on, um, they often get lost or frustrated, or um, just a little bit overwhelmed. Um, with you know, it's it's a really powerful game, but if you're not sure what you're doing, and your learner's not sure what you're doing, what they're doing, um, it can kind of spiral out of control quickly. You know, just like if you have a client who's really eager about clicker training. Um, but they don't know very much, and their dog doesn't know very much. If they don't have guidance, then pretty quickly they're frustrated, and the dogs frustrated. So we want the manual to teach people about behavior analytic concepts and about how to shape behaviors. Um, and so it's fairly guided early on, and then as you get further and further into it, it kind of releases the person to do more planning on their own um, and more more things on their own, so that they're they're more independently um, planning what they're going to teach and teaching the behaviors by themselves.
0: Okay, so for people that have no idea what Portal is, could you explain it to us?
1: (laughs) All right, so um, Portal is a tabletop shaping game um, that uses a collection of small objects and a clicker to mark behavior and little blocks or tokens as reinforcers. Um, so a lot of people, uh, may be familiar with Karen Pryor's training game, um, which she describes in Don't Shoot the Dog, where you have one person as the teacher and one person as the learner and the teacher has a clicker and the teacher shapes the learner to do things around the room. So maybe sit in a chair or turn on a light switch or something like that, um, and I know a lot of trainers have played that game and it can be um, fun and a good learning experience. Um, however, um, I'm not sure exactly when. Probably my guess would be sometime in the 90s. Um, what Kay Lawrence, um, I'm sure you, most of your audience is familiar with Kay Lawrence. She's a Kay's British been, dog trainer.
0: Yeah, Kay's been on the podcast before She's been as on well. the
1: podcast, okay. Um, she observed that just kind of like what I was talking about a second ago with Portal, um, if people have too much freedom with the training game early on, um, it can lead to a lot of frustration. So um, I've had plenty of times where I've played the training game when it's been a great experience, but then if you have a teacher who's new to clicker training, a learner who's new to clicker training, um, often you have a learner who's just offering behavior and doing things all over the place, or you may have a learner who's doing nothing and is just frozen at the front of the room, not sure what to do, not sure what to move, how to move. It can become frustrating pretty quickly. So Kay developed um, the original tabletop shaping game, which she called Genovacob. Um, And then over the years since then, um, I know Ken Ramirez has developed his own version, and there's other people who have developed other versions. Um, but so in the early 2000s, Kay taught Janabakob to Dr. Jesus rezal and his graduate students, and they started playing it among themselves at the university. And what we realized is that it could be a very powerful tool for teaching people about behavior analytic concepts um, and teaching people in a very guided way how to shape behaviors. So you have a collection of small objects. Um, this may include things like little blocks, little Legos, buttons, maybe a toy car, a toy animal, um, dice, a top, a paperclip, a pipe cleaner, um, but about you know a dozen or more of these little objects. And Um, how the game works is that the teacher puts out um, one object or several of the objects, depending on what the goal is in front of the learner. And um, the learner has to interact with the objects um, and the teacher cannot talk to the learner. The teacher can't model the behavior. um, The teacher can't um, reach over and grab the learner's hand and physically try to get the learner to do things. Um, The teacher has to shape the behavior entirely using um, clicking at the right time. And then also the teacher can do things like presenting certain objects to try to get certain behaviors to occur, or maybe presenting objects in a certain configuration um, in order to try to get certain behaviors to occur. And then when the learner does the right behavior, the teacher clicks and gives the learner a little block. for reinforcement. So that's kind of the very basic setup.
0: So is the game strictly shaping?
1: <laughs> why? Why I'm hesitating is I think um, how I often look at shaping is much broader than how some people narrowly define shaping. Um, but we use the we use the game to teach people shaping skills, and so we have. Um, We have a set of six foundational exercises that we've put together that teach kind of basic component skills that you need to be a good shaper. And then um, after that, we do have some exercises as well that let people practice writing shaping plans and shaping more and more challenging behaviors. Um, And then later on in the manual, we have a series of chapters that are specifically aimed at, um, illustrating different behavior analytic concepts. So things like, um, schedules of reinforcement, um, stimulus control and cues, um, teaching concepts, um, chaining, so forward chaining, backward chaining. Um, and so those types of things, some of that's less about shaping and more about seeing, different concepts in action and using how or learning how those concepts may be able to be incorporated um, into your teaching. Um, so, oh, go ahead.
0: So, yeah, the reason I ask is because obviously when you're training a dog or any, any animal really, shaping is, is one of the ways that you train a dog, but you might use luring uh, or targeting right. or something like yeah. that. And I was wondering if Portal helps people to develop those skills as well, or if we're really honing in on shaping on this one.
1: Yeah. So the, uh, one of the foundation exercises that we have, um, that's part of those six foundational exercises is actually using, um, targets. So people get to practice using a target to get a behavior going, um, and then get to practice Fading out that target so that the learner is doing the um, behavior without the help of the target. Um, and go ahead.
0: Is this is this aimed really at then people like me and you? <laughs> are just geeks really about behavior and just love this stuff. Or is it a game that really would appeal to? Anyone, because I think with like when I think of tabletop games, I think and most people, you know, we think of like Monopoly and Cluedo and all the like classic board games. And I'm just wondering how wide the appeal is on this, or if it's really just for us geeks.
1: Um, well, it's aimed, our manual especially is aimed primarily at dog trainers and at uh, behavior analysts. Um, but it, it the, a lot of people just find the game fun, so um, it's certainly not just for professional trainers. I I know quite a few trainers now who are using it with their clients, um, and you know, then sometimes even the clients find it fun, so they'll go home and play with their family. Um, but one of the one of the really cool benefits of Portal um, is that it builds a lot of empathy for. Your client or for the animal, so um, you you try to shape something, and the learner has no idea what's going on, and then you tell them, "Oh, I was just trying to teach you the difference between um, red and blue and green," and they say, "Oh, that was it," and and um, then you know you can talk about why they thought it was something different and how you could have adjusted your your shaping plan, but um, it gives us a lot of empathy for. You know, when we're teaching, our animals sometimes are frustrated or confused. And it seems obvious to us that they should be doing something. But um, from their perspective, because of the way we've arranged things, um, it totally doesn't um, seem intuitive to them.
0: Yeah, because it seems like a really great way of kind of getting people interested in training Mm
1: -hmm. without
0: without them realizing that they're getting interested in training. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) like Because I think um, like a lot of the training books that we all love are fantastic, but they're quite dry and maybe a little bit boring for someone to pick up that is not really hugely interested. Right. But um, something like a game, I mean, it's like anything, isn't it? Like in modern times, everyone is just trying to gamify stuff because, Right. Because people seem to learn better when it's in that kind of context of a game.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And one thing that's cool too is, you know, sometimes people look at Portal and look at some of the exercises we're doing and they think, "Uh, how would that translate to training my dog or training my horse or whatnot, you know, because maybe the behavior that they're doing in Portal is to get the learner to roll a dice and then turn a block upside down and then push the dice in a circle around the block. And they, they look at that and the person goes, I'm never going to train my dog to do that. So, so how does it relate? But um, one of the cool things about portal is that you're practicing kind of more global skills that are going to apply to animal training. So being able to look at a final behavior and break it down into a series of smaller steps Um, being able to pick a good starting point, um, being able to arrange your environment or the objects that you give the learner in order to make it really likely to get the um, behavior you want. Um, Of course, good timing um, and good reinforcer delivery, um, being able to adjust your plan um, on the fly. All those are things that can be difficult to learn um, in the moment when you're training your your dog or your other animal, but you can practice that all in portal. And then when you go train your dog, um, you have more of those, more of those skills in place.
0: Yeah, because one of the reasons I got excited about this when I was first hearing you talk about it, especially when you were talking about how at uh, your university, you had like this, this portal club, like I thought that that just seemed like such a cool activity It's just a great idea of bringing trainers together because one of the biggest problems we have as like our little community is everyone has their own philosophy and ideas and like, you know, you just get what I think like people call it like trainer wars, right? You know, (laughs) it's like, especially with shaping, actually, you know, you get like team luring and team shaping and, you know, it's like, this gets so ridiculous. Yeah to have an activity that people can get together, like with some other local trainers or with friends that are interested in this or just want to play, I think is a massive force for good. And that's one of the reasons I got really excited about it and I haven't played yet, but I'm really looking forward to
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I have a friend, um, um, who's here in the United States and he was at a workshop several weeks ago. For I think for tracking, um, and there was a wide mix of people there. There were people using clicker training and positive methods, and then there were quite a few um, traditional people as well. And um, they had, and he and a couple of other people who he was friends with. I think it was the first evening they got everyone playing Portal, um, and they got some of these more traditional trainers thinking about things in different ways and and thinking more about what their animals might be thinking about and um open to learning more about clicker training and positive reinforcement just by getting to be the teacher and the learner um in in the portal games
0: yeah that's really funny it's uh I can just imagine traditional trainers listening to this. It's like, Mary, you're, you're spreading the positive agenda. You're brainwashing them (laughs) with this portal game. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's fantastic. You're right. Just to get people thinking about this stuff, because in that game context, like there's no threat, it's just like, we're just playing this game, but if you can train another person to do something, then, you know, why not try and do the same thing with a dog, right. Right. Or, or whatever animal you're working with. And I know you had some really cool stories from your time, you know, playing this game with students and in the club and all that kind of stuff. And I was listening to uh, your podcast with Ryan, where you were talking about training the concept of height.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I thought that was really interesting. I know that that, um, is what you're know what you kind of alluding to with some of this stuff, like the order you present things in and all of that kind of stuff. Can you give us some examples of maybe things that you see in the game, maybe things that go wrong relatively often or, uh, you know, funny stories or whatever?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, I can give you a couple of stories, which I think will help people be able to visualize Portal better, but then they'll also kind of illustrate how Portal is a good tool for improving our shaping skills. So um, we have those six foundational skills that I mentioned that we teach people um, to help make them better shapers. And one of them is using um, targets. Um, And another one is what we call um, transferring actions. So basically, this is the idea that if I'm going to get you to um, to spin a um, spin a close pin like at the top, I'm not going to start with the close pin because if I give you the clothespin, you're probably going to pick up and pinch it. Pick it up and pinch it. I'm instead of going to give you the top, get you spinning the top. Once that behavior is occurring at a really high rate um, and you're doing it really readily, I can switch out for the clothespin and you'll probably fairly quickly um, spin the clothespin. So, or go ahead.
0: Yeah, that that idea of transferring actions, I find really interesting because it makes total sense within the game context. Have you done the same thing with animals?
1: Um, Yeah, so you can do the same thing with animals too, where, you use either, um, certain objects or certain, um, just the ways you arrange the environment or certain behaviors that are already in the repertoire to get a behavior going. And then you can kind of transfer or gradually change the environment until you're in more of the, um, more of the final environment. So, so an example of that would be, I had a, um, I had a service dog who stayed with me several years ago for um, a couple of months as part of his training. And um, unfortunately, because of some, he had always been trained with positive reinforcement, but because of some things that had kind of gone wrong in his training um, in the previous months before I had him, he had gotten where he didn't like to put his vest on So you would hold up his vest um, and he would go run and hide under the table, Um, which is not what you want for a service dog who um, this organization um, has the dogs wear these certain vests. So he had to learn how to wear wear his vest again. So if I had started with the vest, um, it would have been really slow shaping because it would have been you know clicking and treating for him approaching me, approaching the vest, touching the vest, even getting him to approach me when I had the vest might have taken a long time Um, and it, it would have been a pretty slow process and I would have been fighting this history that he had of I don't want to wear the vest so the behavior I would get would probably be kind of slow and hesitant and what I wanted instead was I wanted to reshape the action of when there's kind of a round loop here I want you to come running and, and put your head in it with, with enthusiasm and with vigor. So what I did was I started with a belt um, and I took the belt and made a loop out of it. And I shaped him to stick his head through the belt loop, through the, through the loop of the belt. And since he didn't have any history at first with the belt, it was fairly easy to train him to do that Um, and he was happy doing it and lots of enthusiasm. And then I took a horse girth and made a similar circle. And and since we had been practicing a lot with the belt, um, I just had to hold up the horse girth and he came running over and stuck his head in it. Um, And then we did it with a few other kind of similar objects and and then we did it with a couple of vests that were different from his original vest. Um, and he had no problem transferring from the belt and the horse girth to, uh, back to the vest so that he would then come over and just stick his head through. But it was, it was this idea of getting the action I wanted first before doing it in the, um, environment or with the objects where I wanted it to, uh, to happen.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting thing to kind of have in your repertoire. It kind of reminds me of like the look at that style of um (laughs) training reactive dogs where you know you train the dog to look at an object and then eventually you transition to dogs or whatever the trigger is
1: yeah Uh, yeah so if you have a dog who's really reactive to other dogs you wouldn't start by waiting for him to look at the other dog and then clicking for that because he's not going to be able to do it he's going to just you know he, he may bark or growl or whatnot, but you can train that with all sorts of neutral objects. And then when you do it with uh, the other dogs, he's able to engage um,
0: yeah. in the behavior. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends how reactive they are. Like oftentimes we can start with dogs, um, with some dogs, it all depends on thresholds and distances and all that kind of stuff. But if you're really... If you're really struggling then that seems like a good way of going Mm -hmm. and it's like having these things in your repertoire isn't it
1: yeah yeah so so alexandra curland um horse clicker trainer has a game she calls that's called a game she plays with the horses that's called touch the goblins um so horses are normally uncertain about scary things or new things in their environment you know maybe a plastic bag that's flapping around or just something new that appears in the barnyard. Um, So she teaches the horses to go up to scary things and to target it with their nose. Um, However, if you start with the scary things, you get hesitation and the horse spooking or not sure about things. So she starts with things that the horse might naturally want to target or want to investigate or be curious about. And you can build the behavior. You know, touch. You present an object, touch with um, all sorts of neutral things, and then later on, it just becomes a general concept. You present something that previously would have been scary, and say touch, and the horse goes, "Oh, I know this game," and they'll walk right up um, and and touch it with their nose. I had a um, rescue horse some years ago when I was in grad school, who's was a young horse who didn't have very much training. And I had played this game with her. Um, and one day in one of the fields on the ground, there was one of these, um, you know, like the kind of metallic balloons uh, okay. that are kind of the metallic plastic. You know what I'm talking about? Those yeah, I know
0: breakers. what you mean. Yeah.
1: Um, and it had, so I, I don't know where it came from, but it was deflated and it was turned up in one of the pastures and it's, Kind of this shiny um, silver color and blowing in the wind just a little bit and the type of thing a horse would normally be scared of um, and I said touch and pointed it at it and she walked right up and and touched it with her nose um, but that's not something I would have been able to get her to do just with the balloon but it was, you know because she had that that history of doing that action of walking up and touching things with with other objects um, already in her repertoire. Now in a new situation, I could use that to get her to approach something that would normally be scary.
0: This is why I love having conversations with people that train other animals because what a fantastic game, especially for building confidence, I would imagine. You know, Mm -hmm. dogs, I mean, firstly in puppies, but also, you know, sometimes you come across fearful dogs that are just really afraid of anything novel which is probably what you're describing with the horses, right? But maybe that's a bit more natural, more of a natural tendency in in horses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They they tend to be, they tend to, if there's something that they're not sure about, they tend to hang back or not approach it um, rather than investigate.
0: Yeah. I don't know if this is uh, very scientific, but I've heard people describe that kind of difference in, um response as the difference between optimism and pessimism mm. have you come across that before?
1: yeah, I haven't heard it described like that before, but you know if you think about um horses in in their natural environment, you know it's a they're they're a prey species, so it makes sense to run first and then stop and think about it later. Um, rather than to investigate. So they tend to, um, you know, especially a horse who hasn't had a whole lot of training, um, they tend to not be as curious, I think, as some of the, the dogs maybe would be. Yeah. well, we they- can, of course, teach them to be curious about things.
0: Yeah, uh, what an incredible concept, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think we, as, as humans, we associate that curiosity with a confident animal. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's hard to imagine how you can change those like temperament traits with training. Right. But like a a game like that is certainly a step in that direction.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Because we associate, and so many people associate like shaping and all of this kind of stuff with, oh, you can teach a dog to sit, or you can teach a dog to press a button or something. But you don't really think of the like wider scope of things you can actually do when you start getting creative about you know the things that you teach the animal
1: right yeah
0: exactly one of the interesting things that you you mentioned in your email uh mary which i wanted to touch on was you've been using this you've been using portal in your classes when you've been teaching and I know you wanted to talk about that, but I also have a related question, which is, I wonder, you know, how we can use these kind of games and this kind of like gamifying, like effect in education in general, because what it reminds me of was recently I was reading about, and uh, I was reading about Skinner's like teaching machines and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, because Skinner had, you probably would describe this way better than me, (laughs) but Skinner had these teaching machines that he developed and, you know, he really thought that this was going to be the future of education. And it was all kind of based around errorless learning and, you know, gradual approximations towards uh, teaching people the correct thing. And, uh, you know, at that time, I think like that was really exciting. And then it just seemed to die. Like, you know, then it just seemed to go out the window and yeah. it's, in, it's interesting to now, you know, have this game where you're teaching people again. And I, I know that, you know, Kay and Karen Pryor, uh, you know, have had games, but not, not necessarily with the goal of like teaching kids history
1: or maths or something like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting. You were asking before, like it's Portal just for anybody. Um, and I think, it would be, we haven't explored it that much, but one thing that we see with the animal trainers and with our behavior analysis students is that Portal's really good for teaching problem solving skills. And so that might be a way to use it with just um, kids or adults in general. So um, one of the Portal stories that I was gonna tell you, um, this was from earlier this semester, Um, when we were still working on those foundational um, skills in one of the classes. But one of the students, her goal behavior was to teach the learner to take a little plastic toy kangaroo and to push it under a bridge. Um, So she had built a bridge out of some blocks and Legos and and whatnot. So um, the problem is most people won't push a kangaroo underneath something. That's not, that's not what you normally do with a, with a kangaroo. Um, so she had to think about what are the components here? How can I arrange the environment? How can I arrange a set of shaping steps so that I can teach this behavior to the learner in a way that it's easy for the learner to figure it out? So she started with a target, a little block, in a car and taught the learner to push the car to to the target. And then um, she switched out the car and gave the learner the kangaroo. And since the target was still there, the learner pretty quickly started pushing the kangaroo to the target. So now she has the the action she wants. She has pushing the kangaroo. Um, And then she put her little bridge between kangaroo um, and the target, and just thought that the learner would continue to push the kangaroo to the target so that it went under the bridge. Um, However, the bridge that she used was, in the learner's mind, it was too small. It didn't seem like a bridge. So the learner took the kangaroo and hopped the kangaroo over the bridge, which is which is very, and then after she hopped it, she pushed it the, way to, the rest of the way to the target, um, which is a very intuitive thing to do when you're given something in front of a kangaroo. Oh, I'm gonna hop the kangaroo okay. over it. Um, so then, then the teacher has a problem. So the teacher could just um, wait it out and see if the learner eventually figures it out, but that might be frustrating for the learner. Um, so what we try to teach our students to do is when when something's not going the way you planned or not going the way you want to stop, take a break, brainstorm, reevaluate how you can change things so that, that the learner will be able to do what you want them to do. So she took a break, she thought about it, um, and she took the bridge away. And she went back to just pushing the kangaroo to the target so she could get that action going again. And then she reintroduced the bridge, but this time it was a much bigger bridge. It was like a giant bridge. Um, and she put the target much closer on the other side and the kangaroo much closer too. So it, it really seemed the only thing you could do was push the kangaroo under the bridge. And the lear- after the learner did that a few times, Then she moved the kangaroo and the target apart a little bit. So now the learner's pushing the kangaroo further. And then she made the bridge a little bit smaller. So now she had a medium bridge and then she made it smaller still. So she had the original size of bridge. And now she has the learner pushing the kangaroo under the small bridge. And once she got that going and and that happening pretty fluently, She was able to get rid of the target. So then the learner was just pushing the kangaroo under the bridge. Um, So, you know, it's it's not that complicated of a behavior. It's just pushing a kangaroo under the bridge. But there was a whole lot of analysis and problem solving um, that she had to go through in order to make her plan. And then more importantly, to be able to adjust her plan when things weren't quite going the way she thought they would go.
0: You can totally see why playing Portal would make someone a better shaper. Right, like having to figure these this kind of thing out and make plans and all this kind of stuff and that is kind of a big leap for people that are just starting out because oftentimes when I'm teaching dog owners like this concept of like successful approximations breaking things down into tiny steps and then working towards the finished product is like just it's not something people think about in the beginning it's like yeah. i want my dog to do this and they want everything straight away <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah and like and making that leap between actually you have to break this down is yeah. really really important and it's it's really illustrated when you tell those stories you know yeah. how much
1: One thing that I think happens sometimes too is when people are new to animal training, or even when people have more experience with the animal training, we have this big goal um, that we want the animal to do. And it just, it just seems impossible. Like, how am I going to get there? And, and we, we, the, the trainer or the owner even just kind of becomes paralyzed. Like, ah, I don't know where to start. I don't want to mess things up. Um, and so I think by playing portal, people get, they, they're practicing and learning those skills for how to plan, how to be strategic about what they're doing, um, and how to set things up and break things down so that they can get towards their, their final behavior. And what we try to do in the manual is, um, we start out with, in the shaping foundational exercises with some, really simple exercises with targeting um, and the transferring actions and some other concepts. And we try to set it up so that there's people, so people feel challenged, but that they're realistic challenges where it's not like I want you to train this crazy complicated behavior and you have no idea how to do it. Um, We want to build people's skills so that they feel confident and they're learning how to, how to break things down um, and shape behavior.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, it's teaching people in the same way that we, you know, do in these games and and we teach animals, right? Like setting them up for success and all of that kind of stuff. And I wanted to bring up as well, because one of the maybe criticisms that gets made of like training in this errorless way, you know, and um, is that you end up with a learner that has no resilience essentially when things start going wrong they just give up really quickly as opposed to if you ch- say that you um allow a bit more frustration in your training you allow them to get it wrong a few more times you build a more resilient dog a more or even person right that's able to kind of cope with getting it wrong what would your kind of uh, response be to to that
1: so i I think with that, um, what I would say is that we can train our dogs or our animals or our portal learners um, in a way so that we are taking more of an airless approach and we're setting things up so the animal is continuously successful. but then when we get into more complicated behaviors or um, more difficult behaviors that we're gradually teaching the animal to be more resilient um, and be able to tolerate longer intervals without reinforcement or having to do a behavior multiple times. Um, I think one of the, one, a really good example would be like um, training an animal, training a dog for nose work or, you know, scent work where the dog's going to have to go out and find things um, maybe in a giant area where you have no idea where the thing is or even if there's the thing is actually there. Um, and if you look at a lot of the people who are doing um, nose work now and taking a more shaping or more airless learning approach, you don't start off by having the dog search for something in a parking lot with tons of things there Um, and lots of possibilities and lots of frustration, but that's where you're going in the end. So in the end, you would like the dog to be able to search the parking lot and there's not something here, there's not something there and you want him to be resilient. And even though now it's raining and there's a dog barking off to the side and all sorts of things are happening and going on um, that he's really dedicated to that search. Um, But how we do that or, how I've only done a little bit of nurse nose work. How, how a lot of trainers do that is you know, you start by having the dog search small areas, controlled environments, um, and you can gradually add in more distractions or more things that will, um, you know, challenge the dog so that he's having to search harder and search longer. But you're building up it in a way where he can be successful um at each step.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great way of describing it. Because yeah, you're you're just slowly asking for more. And at that point, they probably find the just playing the game reinforcing in itself, right? And and yeah, I mean like as you were talking then, it was kind of reminding me of like if you were playing like mario or zelda or something right like you'd start you don't start off on like level 50 right cuz right, if you right. if you did you'd probably give up straight away because you'd be like this is way too hard right you, you start off on an easy level and then by the time you get to level 50 you're more willing to persist you're more is kind of more um yeah i guess you're just more willing to persist with less reinforcement i guess
1: yeah, well, and your your skills have been built up in such a way that you you have the skills, you know what the goal is. You know, even if there's a hard part where you die over and over and over again, <laughs> um, you know, it's like there's level 50 and two-thirds of the way through it, there's something you have to, like, jump over or something, and, and you have to do just the right sequence of, of, of button presses or whatnot but, and you keep dying and dying and dying. But if that happened on level one, nobody would play the video game. But if it happens on level 50, and you understand the game, um, you understand what the goal is, you have most of the components that you need or all of the components you need in order to to meet that challenge, um, then you're able to do it. It actually, um, it's interesting that the people who design video games, um, very much understand reinforcement and schedules of reinforcement and how to, how to introduce, um, distractions and challenges in such a way that you keep the learner engaged and you keep the learner, um, where they still want to still want to play the game.
0: Yeah. And that's an interesting like analogy to make as well, because, at the same time, if every game if every level you played you completed first time, would that affect how reinforcing you find the game? Right? Like because a certain level of challenge is kind of needed for the payoff to eventually be like enjoyable, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if it always stays easy, 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 you know, you may if that was the way you earned your money so you could, you know, eat and pay rent and whatnot, then yeah, okay, you'd probably do it, but you wouldn't do it for fun. Um, so, so yeah, I think, um, I think that's a good lesson too, to think about that, you know, some people say animals don't get bored, but, you know, I think that our animals can sometimes get bored if, if things are repetitive and, and, um, you know, we say not fun. So um, the 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 trick is that the the balance is finding that happy medium where it's challenging and the animals um, the animals finding it fun, but where it's not so challenging that they're disengaging and they're frustrated and they're confused. So I think there's kind of a a balance there uh, yeah, that we definitely. have to find in our training.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think. I think it was Ken Ramirez that said, uh, we're not so good that we have to add errors in, <laughs> you know right. I mean? <laughs> like right. it, no one is so good that they have to deliberately mess up. Right. But yeah. like, it just reminds me of a question a client asked me a while back, which, you know, I was talking about playing tug with a dog and, um, you know, what we would do is we would play with a dog, play with a dog, play with a dog. And then I said, take the toy off of the dog while the dog still wants it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we take the toy up, we put it under our arm and then the dog's like, no, I want to keep playing. Right. And the client said, well, isn't that frustrating? And I said, yeah, <laughs> like it is frustrating. And I guess we are kind of using frustration there to build desire to play the game. But from experience, if you I just give the dog the toy, or we just play until they get bored, right? Like that will affect their motivation for the game. So, like you said, there's kind of a balance there, isn't there? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we're not so good. We have to add in errors. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Yeah. There's a There's a Skinner quote. I don't remember it word for word, but basically, you know, a lot of people say. Oh, a lot of people um, justify there being errors because they say, oh, we need to build up tolerance to frustration and we need to uh, teach people how to deal with challenges and whatnot. And Skinner basically says, if you want people or animals to be able to deal with challenges, teach them how to deal with challenges. So, um, you know, I think it's all of these things like, being able to deal with challenges, being able to deal with frustration, um, being able to wait patiently until you give the toy back down—all those things. You know, the first time you take the toy away, you don't do something with it that completely makes the dog go mad. You know, you take it away for just a second, and then you immediately give it back to the dog. Yeah. That's um, true. And then you take it away for two seconds, and you give it back, mm-hmm. and you're able to build up kind of that tolerance to having the toy taken away um, in a way that's, that's maybe a little bit frustrating, but not completely um, frustrating for the dog.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a really interesting way of putting it. Do you think that like, we will see this kind of teaching make a comeback in like mainstream education?
1: Um, hopefully. You know, I'm not. I, I'm not sure. Um, one thing that's interesting to think about is that um, a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of airless learning because it shifts a lot of the responsibility onto the teacher. So if we um, if we start out with the belief that any dog can Learn to walk on a leash, and any child can learn multiplication, and you know any adult can learn how to do this skill. Then it's up to us as the teacher to design teaching plans and shaping plans in order to be able to help the learner learn. Um, and in you know in education for school age children, if you if you start with this assumption that any child can learn then the children who aren't learning it shifts some of the respo- it shifts a lot of re- responsibility onto the teacher whereas if you instead think well you know some kids are just lazy or unmotivated or slow or not that intelligent then if children aren't learning then you can place the blame on the child so uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a philosophical shift. Um, not just errorless learning doesn't just train, change the way you train, but it changes the way you think about training. And so, it, it it can be a difficult thing to wrap your head around. I think.
0: I think in the UK, we just recently had a show called. It was something like uh, it was by Joe Rosie, who's recently been on the show. Well, sure, she's been on the podcast previously, and she. It was called like how to train your child like a dog or something like that right and i think that everyone was um surprised by how controversial using aba was for uh teaching like children and stuff like that and like even like people that are my friends that aren't dog training friends and stuff and I could see their status on Facebook or something and it would be like oh my god it's so cruel like ABA causes PTSD and all this kind of stuff and it's just like what <laughs> you know it's really hard for me yeah. to get my head around because like it's because I guess from the kind of community I'm in and the experiences that I've had like it seems Like, yeah, of course, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, so it was surprising to me how controversial this was to a mainstream audience. So there's a huge... I
1: I haven't seen the show at all, so I cannot comment on the show specifically, but I would say um, the thing about behavior analysis is just like, you know, clicker training or positive reinforcement dog training, Um, there's a whole wide range of people doing it. So, you know, there's there's so many people using clicker training now who are completely brilliant and, you know, very ethical and good shapers and getting amazing results. There are also people using clicker training who are, you look at what they're doing and maybe they're combining it with other things and um, you, you're like, oh my gosh, that just, you just feel sorry for the dog. So it's, it's kind of the same with behavior analysis. If you if you've only seen a few people doing behavior analysis and the people you've watched are not very good at it, then um, you may you may have a an too narrow of a view of it. Uh, and, if, and unfortunately, now uh, well, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure um, the there's a giant demand, at least in the United States, for using behavior analysis with um, children with autism. And um, there, there's a growing movement. Most of the insurance companies will pay for services now. So there's a giant demand for behavior analysis with children with autism. And there's a lot, there's, there's money that can be made. Um, and anytime there's Money, you get some people who are very ethical and doing things and trying to help the kids. You get some people who are just in it because they can bill insurance and they're doing it for the money, or they're or they are trying to do it to help the kids, but they don't have the skills and they don't know what they're doing. So, so I would say, um, there's a lot of really good behavior analysis being done right now, but there's also some people who are doing it who. Have either the wrong motivation or don't have the skill set to do it. Just like in the dog training world, and unfortunately, um, if that's the only side of it you've seen, um, you know, some people are opposed to behavior analysis.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. I think it's almost like that with anything, really, isn't it? You know, there's always going to be like a uh, like a wide variety of skill sets, you know, and if you see someone that is not very skilled, then that can mar your experiences. Like I get that all the time where, you know, where I get inquiry calls from people and they're like, I've been to, and you know, they can be quite, once you talk to them, you can kind of dig dig it out. And it's like, I've been to three other dog trainers and this hasn't worked. And now they're really very cautious about doing dog training with anyone because they've done it with multiple other people and they've had bad experiences. And then it's you know trying trying to bring them on slowly and and uh, you know help those people and it's pro- it's yeah. the same with anything, isn't it? Yeah,
1: I say I, I tried positive reinforcement and it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have to be careful. Yeah, you do have to. be care- <laughs> And you know what? Actually, that's a bit of a bugbearer of mine um, because there are a lot of people out there that think that it's enough to just be positive. You know, like you get people and it's like, oh, I'm I'm a positive trainer. I don't use choke chains and prong collars and all that kind of stuff. It's like well, that's great, but you still have to really like get good at this. You can't just yeah. say I'm fear-free and that's or I'm I'm pain-free or whatever you like label you want to put on it and just okay, that's good enough. So no, you need to really get good at this because even within that little, you know, our group of reward-based or whatever labels you want to use. Like there's still like a huge difference in quality. yeah. And it's really frustrating when you work with people that have been to other positive trainers and have had a bad experience because, you know, there's just people that, uh, you know, and I, I do think everyone's well intentioned, but like, you know, it's people that have just, they're just not ready for that case or, or whatever.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. But yeah, all right, cool. Well, it's been great talking to you, Mary. Where can people find out more about Portal and more about your your work? I know you have a really cool blog as well.
1: Yeah, so um, the Portal Manual is um, by myself and Dr. Jesus Rezals. We've developed it together over the past um, handful of years. And so we have created a new website um, together this year, and that's BehaviorExplorer.com. So if people visit that site, um, they can purchase the portal manual there. Um, we have articles and videos there as well. We're working on developing more articles and videos and other resources. Um, we're also working on developing an ebook version of the portal manual, which isn't available yet, but um, should be available um, later in 2019. So we're really excited about that because that should make um, the manual more accessible to people, um, all over the world. Yeah, that's a,
0: that's a really great idea. And also I was, I love your uh, behavior Explorer blog because I think there's a real lack of like more advanced stuff on the internet Uh that people can read and get into like, uh, we're fortunate enough. There's a lot of like basic dog owner stuff and uh, there's always room for more, the more the better but like advanced stuff is really, really awesome to to read and get into.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're trying to share stuff on that side about portal, but then also about behavior analysis and behavior analysis concepts, um, and get some of that information out there too, especially stuff that, um, is lesser known. So I would definitely encourage people to check out behavior explorer.com. And then I also have my own personal blog, which is stalecherios.com. Um, and I, these days I just post on it sporadically, but I share information there about, um, work I do with the rescues and with my own clients and just things I'm reading and thinking about. So, um, people can also li- visit stale So why
0: stale Cheerios?
1: Okay. So that's a great question. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just a silly name, but, um, hopefully it's easy for people to remember when I first started, um, clicker training. I had a course I was training and then I also really early on did quite a bit of training with um, my parents' dog, um, Ginger. And um, I was looking for something I could use for training for her that would be fairly um, small so that she wouldn't be getting too much at each bite um, and that wouldn't be too unhealthy. And my mother had a box of very stale Cheerios in the cabinet um, that she was going to throw out because she didn't know what to do with them, and and I discovered that the dog liked them. So um, for a while, for training with the with the dog early on, I used stale Cheerios. So it just kind of was a was a a, a little bit of a joke. But um, the, the I, why I like it as a name for the blog is because you know that's the kind of the the core of our training philosophy is that we have to have something that motivates the animal and that, that the animal's happy and enthusiastic and willing to work for. Um, And so Ginger, um, who's no longer with us anymore, but um, if you got that box of stale Cheerios out of the cabinet, she'd come running over and she was excited and, and, and thrilled about doing training. So um, that's something I always try to think about no matter the, The animal I'm working with is you know how can I how can I motivate the animal and work with them so that they're happy and enthusiastic and and super willing to participate
0: oh awesome what a cool story yeah well it's been great talking to you and uh yeah good luck with with portal it seems to be blowing up so yeah really awesome development
1: yeah this has been a lot of fun thanks again for having me on the show
0: hope you enjoyed that podcast mary is a really awesome person to talk to someone with a hell of a lot of knowledge and of course you can grab the show notes for this episode at nickbenger.com slash mary hyphen hunter don't forget to join us on the facebook group where we discuss all the podcasts that's dog talk with nick benger podcast discussion group on facebook and of course, this podcast was sponsored by Tromplo, the animal training platform. Tromplo is all about combining the art and science of dog training or training in general and applying it to all the species. It's very scientific and it's founded by Agnieszka Janarek, who's a previous uh, guest on this podcast and is just generally a really awesome person. So be sure to check out those courses over at Tromplo.com, the spelled T-R-O-M-P-L-O.com. See you guys.